This morning we'll be in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on, uh, minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, um, in knowledge, in the image of its Creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which bonds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to Him, to the God the Father, who through Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you this morning for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we briefly apply it this morning, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to say. And when it's time to be quiet, I pray that you would let me be quiet. Lord, I pray that you give an anointing this morning. Lord, I pray all this in your wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. Kind of, uh, we, we've been in Colossians uh, uh, before, and so I've... I just kind of want to touch on the background just a little bit of Colossians. And uh, again, is that, that uh, remember, Paul has not visited Colossae. He's writing to them. Uh, he has not visited Colossae. But uh, he, he, uh, there, there's this idea here that he's dealing with the false teachers and the false doctrines uh, that have gone out into the church over there. And one of those false doctrines was is that, the, the, that Jesus did not... Uh, have a bodily resurrection. The, the thought at that time was that, uh, the, the kind of the false teaching was that it was a spiritual resurrection. And, and we know that that's not the case uh, because uh, uh, those who were spiritually um, resurrected, so to say, how would they say, hey, 
put, put your finger in the nail holes. There's a physicalness that has to happen with that. And so there's a physical uh, uh, resurrection that come about here that Paul is kind of correcting from these false teachers. And, and then he kind of gives them this reminder to stay true to the gospel, Stay true to the gospel that you've heard. Stay true to the gospel that I've presented to you. Uh, stay true to the, to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. In the passage that we see this morning, um, there's, there's several th- different, different things that, that if we look through the, the reading of this, there's this kind of resurrection language, so to say, and, and there's kind of this comparison of two different things. And so we, we see that, that there's a comparison between death and life. And there's a comparison between something that's hidden and something that has appeared. I, I don't know if, um, if you've ever had the invisible ink where you could, you could write uh, uh, messages with the invisible ink and you had the little flashlight and you could... You could uh, um, ADD moment, hold on, it's, it's coming. You could turn it on and you could see the invisible message there that somebody else had wrote uh, uh, to you. Um, I remember uh, I used to go to the, the skating rink. Now, I know that's a picture that's hard to, to imagine, me skating, and it definitely would not happen today. Absolutely not. But uh, as, a, as a middle schooler, I go to the skating rink, and, and they had this invisible ink. And the, the thought was, is you would go up to people, and, and they'd have on a white shirt, and you'd just... And it would disappear. It was, it was visible and then hidden. And then uh, something that was hidden, the, the secret message, is now visible. There's, there's kind of that language going on there, kind of giving our mind that... Um, and, and there's kind of this, this, uh, this thought of death throughout Colossians 3. And, and one of the things that, that, that uh, sometimes I look up words and I'm like, well, does this word, when it was translated, uh, were they intending for it to mean death? Or were they intending for it to mean something else? I'm going to define death for you this morning. It means to cease to be. Very profound theological definition. To cease to be. The, the Greek word, to cease to be here. And, and, there's, and the scripture is telling us that there are things in life that we need to put to death. Uh, there's some things that in the life of a Christian that, that we need, to, that we need to, to, to cut out of our lives. There's, there's something that, that, that uh, when, when we, there's death that happens, that um, um, uh, there's things that are cut out in that. Now, I have this pair of really big scissors. I bought these over a year ago. I've been waiting for the opportunity to use them as a sermon illustration. They've been in my office so the kids don't get hurt. There's some things in our journey as Christians that the Lord says we need to cut out. And then there's some things that the Lord says, well, you don't only cut it out, you put it to death. And, and what, we, what we find here is that, is that uh, it, it's talking about, one, it talks about sexual immorality. 
Now, uh, when in, in uh, this passage here in the Greek, when it talks about sexual immorality, that's exactly what it's talking about, it's sexual immorality. There's no, there's no uh, Paul, he doesn't kind of uh, conceal it at all. This, this would be uh, premarital relations, extramarital relations, polygamy, uh, I, I think would fall into sexual immorality uh, today. And, and uh, it, we would say that sexual immorality is anything outside the scope of, of the design for relations between uh, uh, a man and wife, a husband and a wife, within the biblical confines of marriage of one woman and one man. Um, and, and it's this, this idea that, that one sex is meant for intimacy. Uh, and, and it's uh, not only meant for intimacy, it's, it's meant to grow a relationship between uh, a, a husband and a wife. It's, it's meant to, to, to draw each other together. And, and it's, it's one of those things that, that uh, if we really were to think about it just a little bit more, that, that we could say there's a parallel between the intimacy of a man and his wife, a husband and a wife, and Jesus in the church. And, and it's this thing where, where the, the intimacy, where you just kind of, my, my wife, she, she, uh, <laughs> she'll do this sometimes, and, and I won't even recognize it. She'll, she'll reach over and she'll go, you need to calm down. And she'll do it, she'll do it very, very gently and quietly. You need to calm down. I didn't even realize that I was getting upset at something and, <laughs> until she pointed out, you need to calm down. There's, there's this intimacy that happens there where you, you kind of know uh, 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 your, your, your partner and how they're feeling. Sometimes even before they know what they're feeling, uh, you, you know uh, what's going on. And so uh, and, and if we're, if we're kind of if we're kind of um, building on that, that relationship between husband and wife and Christ and the church, if there's any kind of sexual immorality in, in a marriage, it taints the intimacy. Of the marriage. When, when it comes to Christ in the church, for those who are called out of sin, those who are, who are told to put it to death, sexual immorality does this. It distorts your reality with the intimacy of Jesus. Sexual immorality we're often told is one of the few sins that you do against yourself. Paul's telling us here, that has to be put to death. Sexual immorality has to be put to death. Another thing that, that, that he talks about here is that impurity has to be put to death. And oftentimes, uh, it's thought that, that we read through this and we would think, why in the world does Paul say sexual immorality and then say impurity? Uh, because, uh, we, and we would think, uh, kind of our American culture, we would think, well, purity is usually an, an abstinence from uh, sex or it is an um, uh, intimacy within a marriage. We would think that that's, that's purity there. And, and so we would, we would read that and we would think, why in the world is he saying that thing twice? Why is he talking about it twice here? Is he just kind of uh, uh, for, for uh, one of those phrases that, that uh, I grew up in Tennessee and one of the phrases that, that they use in Tennessee, it's just like beating a dead horse. Paul's 
But he didn't do that. Here's what impurity means here. Impurity, uh, although it was uh, sometimes associated with sexual sin, uh, it deals with this wide-ranging impurity uh, that came from idolatrous cults. Uh, And basically, impurity meant that uh, it's connecting to idol worship and a lack of morality. Uh, so, so those that were involved up in impurity were, were those that, that were so consumed by idols that they could not see anything pure out of it. That they were so consumed by uh, being caught up in idol worship that, that morality had started to distort itself, that, that they didn't know what was right from wrong. Now, if we look at our culture today, we can say that there may be some impurity that's going on in our culture today where, where, where right looks wrong and wrong looks right. And we would say, well, how, how in the world do, do you, uh, you know, what, what is going on? For, for sometimes, uh, sometimes us uh, Christians, as believers, we, we, we look at things and we go, how did it get this way? But, but it would seem like some stuff has been going on for quite a while. It just kind of renames itself or it reestablishes itself again. Impurity always deals with a lack of holiness in the life of a believer. It's, it's this impurity, it's this, this draw back to idol worship. That a drawback to, to uh, uh, someone who has said, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, but they're always drawn back to the idol over and over again. And, and it's this, this, uh, this thought that, that it just corrupts their morality because they know what is right, they've heard the gospel, and they always seem to step back toward the idol. Impurity cannot stand in the presence of a holy God because he desires purity and holiness. The word impurity here is oftentimes, uh, in, in, uh, if we, we kind of look at the, the origins of that word impurity there, when it's translated, it's often associated with demonic activity. When we think of idolatry, I almost always, I always think back to kind of some Baalism that happened for the Israelites. Remember, God let them out of the desert, or he let them out of Egypt, and they wandered in the desert. They, they were there for a while. And, uh, and he, they, they, they uh, were out of there, and Moses was away, and they built a, a golden calf, and they worshipped the calf and said, that's our God who led us out of Egypt. I think of that, kind of that image of worshiping. For us today, idols could be money. It could be relationships. It could be careers. It could be, it, it, you know, idols. We have idols in the church sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes uh, um, uh, I pastored a church that... Uh, had lots of idols. And uh, we kept this riding sheep in the storage room. And, and I asked, well, 
When's the last time that was used in a play? 1980-something. It's not here. This is Illinois. We don't keep sheep in our... We'll keep that out in the barn. We don't... But they would not throw it away because sister so-and-so had made that. Years and years ago. Sometimes, sometimes we take things that, that were meant to serve a ministry purpose in the church and we turn it into an idol because this person did this and that person did that or we associate some kind of memory with that and so that becomes an idol to us instead of what its original purpose was and that was to point people toward Jesus. And, and sometimes in the church we have to say, Lord, forgive us of our idols that we've made and restore its purpose once again. Impurity always involves idol worship and a lack of morality. And then, and then Paul says another thing that needs to be put out, uh, put to death. He says that lust needs to be put to death. Now, now this word lust here, it, it kind of it, it has a root in something a little bit different than what we would think in, in the passage here. The word lust here is rooted in the concept of homosexuality. Uh, the, the word uh, lust here, um, uh, it's talking about that, that's one thing that was going on in, the, in that culture uh, very prevalently uh, happening uh, it was homosexuality. And Paul says it needs to be put to death. And uh, Romans, he, he talks about this in Romans 1. He says that's why God abandoned them over to the shameful desires. Even women turned against the natural relations and had relations with each other. And, then he, and, he, and it's the same word in 1 Thessalonians where, uh, 4 where he talks about live in holiness, not in lustful passion like the pagans. He's saying that, that, that it has to be put to death. It's not a characteristic of, of um, those who have been transformed by Christ. He says, put to, uh, uh, put to death evil desires. And, and this always comes back to not, not just evil desires, but this craving for evil or this bent toward evil. It has to be put to death. And, and then uh, put to death greed, a selfishness, an all-about-me attitude. That is the root of greed, is selfishness. I want my way, and that's the way it's got to be, and I want it. Uh, and, and he's saying that has to be put to death because uh, when, when someone is, is uh, a believer and who's been transformed uh, and, and by the power of God uh, and has been uh, transformed and, and called to a holy living, called to holiness, uh, selfishness is not part of that. Sometimes your um, sometimes your purposes and your plans have to be surrendered over to God. And sometimes his plans will overrule your plans. Well, I, I guess that's all the time. All the time. It's not sometimes. It would be all the time. Paul says it has to be put to death. And, and he, says, he says this, he says that all these things, all these things that have happened here, the impurity, the sexual immorality, the lust, the evil desires, the greed, uh, it, it, he's, he's saying here that, that um, it will bring about the wrath of God. It leads to destruction. Put it to death, is what Paul's saying. 
And, and, then, and then he says uh, that when you put all, this, put all this to death, there's some things that you have to cut out of your life. I'm going to ask Jose to come up. And, uh, and there's, there's uh, uh, some things that, that he talks about uh, putting out of our life. And, and he kind of goes down through the list. And, and uh, when, when, you're, when he goes and he transforms you, and, and uh, sometimes he, he chips away a little bit by little, and then sometimes he, I'm going to have you hold some stuff up, okay? Watch your eyes. You got it. Pointing out that way. So, so he says that, that, that there's some things that you got to cut out of your life. You got to cut out the anger uh, out of your life because what anger does is anger leads to sin. Anger, anger will lead you to do things that, that sometimes you just see red and you, and you will do things that, 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 that one, God does not call you to do, and then two, you'll do things that you'll regret later on, and, and, and that'll lead to more issues. And, and another thing that he calls us to cut out of our life is, is rage. Uh, he calls us to cut out rage. You can just drop that on the ground right here. He calls us to cut out rage um, because that's what, what he does is uh, he goes in and he says, he says, you know, you can't be rageful anymore. You can't be, you can't, you've got to have this gentleness about you. You can't go in and say, this is what I want and this is how it's going to have to be. You know, the Lord's had to do some work in me. I'm just going to be honest with you on that. Uh, uh, I, I, can, I, I can be, it's my daddy. It's what it is. It's a, but it's, it, it, sometimes it, uh, before you know it, you've destroyed a relationship because of rage. And you've destroyed your witness because of rage. He wants to cut it out. Another thing that, that he does is he, he, he says that, that uh, when, when you go and all this is put to death, another thing is malice and, uh, is put to death and uh, uh, malice is, is cut out and just hold that. And uh, when, when malice, this is what malice is. Malice is these intentions that, that uh, uh, you have this idea that everyone is out to get you and that this person is doing something bad and this person's doing something bad. And so in return, you're going to get them before they get you. He cuts that out. Uh, and another thing is slander. Talking bad about people. Oh, oh, my bad. Ooh, you okay there? Ooh. How'd you get injured? In church? <laughs> Had to make us a trip to Jane Todd. I forgot where I was. That... Slander, uh, talking talking bad about people for, for for no reason. Sometimes sometimes talking bad about people and, and it ain't even it ain't even them. Another thing is greed. He cuts out greed. Good idea. He cuts out greed from our lives, and and then uh, and then he goes and he and he cuts out the filthy language. The filthy language from our lives, and and uh, and this is this is something that he does because sometimes, uh, sometimes it's this process. 
we talk about there's two, there's two things that, in sanctification. We have two views of sanctification. And, and that is, is that God works in a crisis moment and that he does it right then and there. And that's absolutely true. We believe that, is that when sanctification happens, he does it right then and there. But there's this progressive period as well that as you grow in Jesus... Sometimes he, he, he reveals some things to you and you know, says, hey, you got to get rid of that. You, you got to cut that out of your life. I sometimes think filthy language is one of those things for people. That, that sometimes it's not, it's not always, because it's a habit. Think it's a habit. And I sometimes think that discipleship happens and people grow and the Holy Spirit says, that filthy language is not how you're supposed to talk anymore. You've got to cut it out. Lying. I almost got your finger that time. That wasn't good, was it? He says, cut it out. Paul's talking about Transformation. Transformation has to happen in the life of the believer. You can go sit down. It has to happen in the life of the believer. And when Jesus moves and the Holy Spirit convicts, transformation always happens for those who are obedient and those who are willing for it to happen. See, it's his desire that we be transformed. When Jesus moves and the Holy Spirit convicts, transformation happens. You can't be the same. Jesus changes lives. Sanctified believers live in the transformation that God has called them to. And, and here, here's the thing. Is sanctified believers can no longer be called by their stuff that they've cut out of their life. No, uh, sanctified believers can't say, I'm this sinful Christian or I'm that sinful Christian. Because it's been, it's been cut out of their lives. We've been called toward holiness. You're no longer called by your sin. You've been called by who you are to Him. And He said... What's he do? Has his arms open wide. You're called a child of God. You're called to live in holiness. Be holy as I am holy. That's what he calls us to. And here's the thing with holiness. When we walk in holiness... We're clothed in compassion. I don't have an example for this. Clothed in compassion. And here, uh, compassion is this thing where, where we have a whole new outlook on the people around us. And compassion allows us to see them like Jesus sees them. And, and, and compassion does not always come easy to people. Um, sometimes we have to pray, Lord, give me compassion. We're clothed in kindness. We're clothed in humility. 
clothed in gentleness and patience and forgiveness. And Paul says, all these are wrapped together in unity by love. See, here's the thing. If you don't have love, love for Jesus and love for other people, you're probably not going to be compassionate. You're probably... See, love helps all that. Love helps us to live in in holiness. When we love Jesus 100% and we're sold out completely... And we said, all I have is yours, and all, all I'm, I'm partaking in whatever else you give me too, Lord. All you have is mine, your fullness. All you want to do is be clothed in love of who he is. And only a love that he can give. Transformation. We're called to walk in holiness. As sanctified believers, being made pure in him for his purposes and his plans. And this morning, I just, I want to ask this. I want to ask, is there something that the Lord is telling you that you need to cut out this morning?